You are listening to episode 42 of the Interlude Podcast, Ovarian Cancer Screening. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. On today's episode, I am talking about ovarian cancer screening. As you may or may not know, September is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. This is important because the goal of these Cancer Awareness Months are to educate people, to empower you to understand what the disease is like, how it presents, who is at risk, and what you can do about it so that you can feel knowledgeable about how to proceed should you get a diagnosis, should your family member be diagnosed, and and so forth. Most common question I get all the time is about ovarian cancer screening. And so that is what I want to focus on today. On subsequent episodes later this month, I'm going to be talking about risk factors for ovarian cancer, how it presents, um, because the most common symptoms of ovarian cancer actually are symptoms that many women may experience on a intermittent or regular basis. So it can be hard. So we'll talk about that and we'll briefly get into treatment for ovarian cancer. And that is a very complicated topic with a lot of, you know, nuances about surgery and when to do surgery and chemotherapy, but I'd like to give people an overview so you can at least feel empowered with that information. So those episodes will be coming out later in the month. But for today, we're talking all about screening. So let's dive right in. When thinking about ovarian cancer screening, right, you really have to break it down into two questions. What is the goal of screening, number one, and then who should be screened? So the goal of screening, if you can pick up cancer at an earlier point, at an earlier stage, you may be able to treat it so that people don't die from that disease. So the goal of any screening program for any cancer is to pick up cancer and save someone's life. I always tell people that cancer screening doesn't prevent cancer. It's not by the virtue of having a mammogram or having a pap smear or having a colonoscopy. You're not going to prevent cancer, but you may find a polyp, precancerous changes, and early stage breast cancer that you can prevent from becoming into something more advanced. So when we talk about ovarian cancer screening, the idea is saying, well, look, we know that now most people who present with ovarian cancer present with disease outside the ovary and fallopian tubes, and they have stage three or stage four disease. And the later the stage at diagnosis, the worse the outcome. So ideally, can we have a screening program that picks up cancer at stage one or stage two, because we know that those patients are going to do better. We'll talk about the options for screening in a second, 
But the real question is, well, who should be screened, right? So this comes up a lot. I get, like I said, I get questions about people who had breast cancer at age 40 and they go, my higher risk for ovarian cancer, should I be screened? It's a, it's a hard question because of course we, we want to screen everybody. You know, if we could prevent cancer, if we could prevent an advanced age cancer or pick up an early stage cancer, of course, that's the, that's the gold standard. The problem is that in general, ovarian cancer screening has not had any benefit in what's considered an average risk woman. There may be some benefit in high risk women. So in general, people who are considered high risk are those who either have a personal or family history of breast and ovarian breast or ovarian cancer. And a lot of that depends on when that cancer was diagnosed and how many you know, when we say family history, is it a first degree relative? Is it multiple relatives on the same side of the family? Is it multiple second degree relatives? So there's clear guidelines and tables um, that are available. So if you're listening to this and you are not sure whether you are high risk, but you think you may be, you would go to your primary care doctor, your oncologist, your gynecologist, whoever takes care of you and say to them, am I considered high risk for ovarian cancer? In addition to the personal or family history of breast or ovarian cancer, the other big thing is, is there a known uh, hereditary cancer syndrome either in the patient or in the family? So this is things like the BRCA1 and 2 genes, the Lynch syndrome and some others. Patients who are of Ashkenazi Jewish descent are at higher risk for those mutations. So that is an important point as well. So those are things that I am looking for when people say to me, am I at high risk for ovarian cancer? Or if I'm trying to determine whether someone is at high risk for ovarian cancer. So that's really the first step. So the first step is to figure out, are you at high risk or are you not? If you are not at high risk, you're considered of average risk. And for that, we do not recommend routine screening. So I'm not talking about you have a pain in your abdomen, you know, you had scans for whatever other reason and they saw something on the ovaries. Those are things we would be working out. But I'm talking about a healthy woman who has no symptoms or signs of ovarian cancer who says, I think I need to be screened. So first step is identifying the risk. Once you've identified the risk, then you start discussing what are the available screening modalities. And so the two that are available are controversial, are pelvic, uh, transvaginal ultrasound and blood tests uh, using the CA125 test. So transvaginal ultrasound uh, has not been shown to have any benefit to reduce ovarian cancer mortality. So there have been several studies one of which looked at uh, the National Ovarian Cancer Early Detection Program. They looked at over 4,500 patients and they screened them every six months with a transvaginal ultrasound. And they detected 10 cancers, but they were all stage three. So we're still not detecting cancers at an early stage. There have been a number of other studies kind of with the same idea, the same outcomes. There have been some studies that do show maybe there's a benefit, um, but the problem is that there may be biases to that study. And if they're coming from, you know, let's say they're coming from one place that has expertise in ultrasound, that expertise by certain radiologists, you know, it, it may not be reproducible in the general community. So what's done at one hospital, it's sometimes hard to extrapolate it to every other hospital.
So in general, transvaginal ultrasound on its own is not recommended. C125 is a protein that is produced in higher concentrations by tumor cells compared to other cells. So we use it a lot in people who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer to assess their response to treatment or to monitor for a recurrence. So again, the idea being, well, can you test it in people who are at higher risk and see if it starts to go up or if it becomes abnormal, you know, could something be brewing? Very good idea. Um, the problem with that is that about 1% of the population has an elevated CA125 for non-cancerous reasons. It can fluctuate with the menstrual cycle. It increases with age and it is affected by ethnicity and smoking status. So you may have an abnormal measurement, but it's actually not associated with cancer. And similarly, you may get the same thing with an ultrasound. It may find something abnormal that turns out to not be cancerous. So those are considered false positive results. So again, you get a positive test, but it's, it's falsely positive. It doesn't mean that you have cancer. And there's a lot of harm associated with that because if you, let's say, have an elevated C125 and it could be cancer, you have to then go looking for it. That may mean an exploratory surgery. That may mean more blood tests, more imaging, more exposure to you know, radiation if you're getting CAT scans. And so there's a lot of harm associated with these false positive results. Putting all of that together, it's not recommended for the average population. And the one thing I'll also say is that there's been a lot of studies looking at both. So not just using C125 alone or transvaginal ultrasound alone, but but looking at them together as a kind of concurrent modality, or if let's say the C125 is abnormal, then following that up with an ultrasound. And again, that, none of that really has totally panned out. So as a whole, for average risk women, we don't recommend routine screening. For high risk women, that is a very personal and individualized discussion with the patient and their doctor. There's a lot of counseling that has to go into that. Part of the discussion when you have a high-risk woman is that if they're high-risk because they have BRCA mutation or hereditary cancer syndrome, they may opt to do a risk-reducing salpingo or hysterectomy, meaning they're going to get the fallopian tubes and their ovaries removed as a prophylactic measure to prevent cancer. Sometimes people are not ready for that or they're not done having children or, you know, whatever the reason may be. And they may opt to do kind of that screening until they're ready to have their surgery. So that becomes very individual decisions with counseling because you have to understand the risks and benefits of that approach and whether or not that is right for you. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into that. It's not as black and white as saying, oh, just go get a, you know, go get an ultrasound and see a 125 test. You really have to understand the implications of what those results may mean. And again, I will just say that these are asymptomatic women. So we're not talking about people who are symptomatic at all. We're talking about people who are doing fine, have no symptoms, but you're worried that they are at higher risk. The professional societies in general recommend against screening for ovarian cancer for asymptomatic women who do not have a high-risk hereditary cancer syndrome. 
So the, the key, the key in everything that I've just said is figuring out who is high risk and who is not high risk. Then you kind of know in which direction to proceed it. So that's a good overview on screening. Obviously, it's more complicated than that, but I think it's a good place to start, and I hope it empowers and empowers you to really think about whether you are high risk or whether a friend or a family member may be high risk and allows you to take the next step to talk to your provider about what that means for you in terms of screening. I'll be back later in the month to talk about risk factors, diagnosis, and a little bit overview about treatment because that obviously is much more complicated as well. I hope you found this helpful and have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing all of you next week. As always, if you have a second and can leave a rating and a review over an Apple podcast, that means so much to me. I read every single one of those reviews and ratings and it's a great way to help me grow the show and bring it to more people. Thank you again.